Welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, helping you conquer the chaos in your life. Your host is licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Dr. Colleen has been doing what she does for almost two decades. She's a private practice owner, a chaostician, a magazine columnist, a best-selling author, and her work or writing has been featured on countless websites including Fortune, Martha Stewart Weddings, Psych Central, The New York Post, Success, and many more. Listen in as she brings you experts in the psychology of life. They may be New York Times bestsellers, key players in their profession, or people who have overcome tremendous obstacles in life and are here to share their story to help you live your best life. Let's get to it. Stay tuned for our next chaos-crushing guest. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Hello, hello. It certainly is good to be back with you. It's Dr. Colleen here. And if you've been a faithful listener and subscriber, I want to say a big heartfelt thanks to you. If you're a new listener, I want to invite you to come and check out some of the more than 50 other episodes of the Coaching Through Chaos podcast with interviews to help you conquer the chaos in your life. No matter how long we've been connected or how we've been connected, I'm glad that you're here with me today. The story I'm going to tell you today, though, is my own, which is not exactly the norm for the show. But I've been absent from the podcasting space for over a year now, and I thought you deserved to know why. Not only so that you know me better, but also because it might help someone else going through a tough and unusual time. I got a call last year that changed my life. I knew when I left my home in California and returned from what became a cross-country journey over several months, I would return to my home only after my mother has passed away and will have inherited my disabled sister. There's so much involved in this story, I decided to break it up into three episodes broken into three parts. The first part will tell you the heartbreaking story of loss that called on all I had to keep myself together as I went through the chaos of all that was happening around me and to my family. And this also happened in tandem with a story of healing and growth in my same family. It was quite surreal. Part two is my almost month-long solo journey cross-country returning to California why I did it, how I did it, my personal reflections on the journey, and about the people I spent time with and met while I was traveling. Part three will catch you up to where we are today as my sister Susie's caretaker, advocate, roommate, and protector. Advocacy became a huge part of our first year living together as I was moving her from the New York Social Security and Medicare system to the California one, and this was not an easy task. My hope in telling this story is to give someone else hope that might be getting lost in the cracks of the system, or maybe what I did will help you to get your problem solved. So I'm going to tell that story in part three. Um, and all of this advocacy was going on while I was reintegrating into my business after being gone for about three months. I also wrote and published a book. Uh, I moved into a new home, which was necessary now that I had Susie with me um, so that we had enough space and accessibility to things. And 
then I just wanted to get back to my life as I knew it. But that's not really what I got. What I got is how they say the new normal, right? So I settled into what my new life is. And I can't wait to tell you about it. You know, for as much as there's tragedy that went on, there was a lot of uplifting, amazing times over the past year. Oh, and one of the little best side things that happened, like the icing on the cake at the end of this journey, is that somehow going through all this, I ended up meeting an incredible guy and fell in love. So it's really been quite a journey. And to help me tell this story, I've got my new love, Mike Dowdy on the other mic. At the onset of this interview, he knew some of my story, but this was his opportunity to deep dive into my experience along with you. Before we get into that, if you're enjoying this show, there are a couple of ways you can support it. Two of them won't cost you a dime, and the third will get you some special rewards. The first way is just to share a little love for Coaching Through Chaos with a review on Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcast listening platforms where you subscribe. The other way would be to save the link to my Amazon storefront on your computer, and the link would be amazon.com slash shop slash Dr. Colleen Mullen, D-R Colleen Mullen. Anytime you need something from Amazon, you just go in through my storefront. And once you start shopping around, I'll get a small portion of the cost of the goods, which will come back to help support the cost of production of the show. And the third way would be for you to become a patron on the Patreon site. Now, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash coaching through chaos podcast. That's easy enough. And with your monthly contribution can range from getting a shout out on the air to say thanks or even end up with a monthly coaching call from me. So go check out patreon.com slash coaching through chaos podcast to see how you might want to be involved in supporting this show. However you choose to support me, even if it's just a subscribing today because it's your first time listening and you sort of like it and you want to check out and see what I'm bringing to the table, I want to thank you for that immensely. I love that you want to support it. Okay, we're about to get on into this journey, so come along with me. Well, here we are, Mike. Thank you for helping me do this because I've wanted to get this story out for a long time and it feels like it will be good for me to do it. And I appreciate that you're the one helping me get the words out. You're welcome. Glad I can do this. So let's get into it. Where should we start? What happened last year that put all this in motion? Well, I got a call around May 5th. Um, my mother had gone in the hospital. She was in ICU. Um, we knew she'd been sick with something. We thought it was like she was saying she had bad gas mm. for a while. And... But turns out they had diagnosed her with three different types of very fatal and very progressed cancers. Um, she had, at the time, we were told they were pending the diagnosis of omental cancer, which is like your omentum, if I'm saying it right, is the layer of fat of your lower abdomen. And that seems to be a direct result of ovarian cancer, um, which she may have 
had and wasn't aware of mm. la- about a year ago. But at the same time, she also had what was called malignant acetes, which is when your stomach fills up with cancerous liquid and tumors, which she was very pronounced in the stomach at that point, looked about nine months pregnant. Uh, and she also had some kind of cancer in her intestine, something to do with a nodule in her intestine. And when I looked that up, it said that all the liquid in the intestines was filled with cancer. So, so I got that call. And as we're pending the confirmation of these horrible diagnoses, a couple of days later, my sister Susie, who had lived with my mother her whole life and is, um, they call intellectually disabled, fell down the stairs at their home in New York and broke her ankle in three places and ended up in the same hospital as my mother. So, The actual call that got me out of New York was my brother Frank calling me, and this was on a Wednesday. Susie had fallen. My mother went in the hospital the previous couple of days before that, and he called me and said, Carl, I need your help. I can't do this by myself. Like, this is a lot with both of them in the hospital. Can you please come? So... I decided right then and there that I was going to figure out a way to go for a prolonged period of time um, to New York. Interesting. So now you've got a thriving business. You've got a beautiful apartment by the water. And you came to the conclusion that you need to go to New York to take care of all this. Can you tell me how you were able to manage both of those, the business and and your life, while away for such a long time? I've decided through all of this that as long as I keep doing what I think is the right thing to do, that somehow life starts to fall into place and, and it gets reinforced and it starts to carry itself. So, so I did make a decision. I looked at what I was doing in my private practice and the people that I had working for me. And I made a decision that I was going to work remotely and then I went to my clients within the next 48 hours and said, something's come up in my family in New York. I need to go to New York. I may be there two weeks. I may be there two months, maybe longer. I don't know. But if you're open to it, I'd love to still work with you remotely over the phone, FaceTime, Skype, however they wanted to. And for those listening, I covered HIPAA with them. So, um, but they, I had almost every single one of my clients said, sure, let's just do it. I mean, clients want to make sure that you're there for them. And if I'm telling them that I can accommodate them still and get them their sessions, they were pretty open to working with me still. So, so I did that. I figured out that I had the luxury of working remotely, which I know for some people listening, when your parent gets sick on the other side of the country or someone else needs you, not everybody is in this position. I realize that I am fortunate enough to be in this position. So I did leave and I was renting an apartment um, in San Diego and I had a girlfriend scheduled to come around and (laughs) what are my plans? Because I thought... When I come back, my life is going to be so different. If my plants that I had been taking care of for years were dead, 
that would be disappointing to me. It was a weird. <laughs> That's an interesting observation. The weird thing I had gone on in my head that if I came home and my plants were dead, it was going to be some sad sign of all this stuff that had gone that we had gone through. But I had plants I'd been growing for five years in my apartment, and so I had a friend take care of my plants while I was gone. So I came home, and that was something that was like constant and still living and growing, and it just made me feel good when I got home. So I was grateful for that, but. The real story is how did I manage it? Well, I did sessions in my car in the parking lot of the nursing home uh, in the summer in New York. And, um, and it worked out well. I, you know, I can't say it was a time of growth for my business because my mind certainly wasn't on generating new business, but the people that were working for me still saw their people. Oh, and I will say I also had just downsized my office. So I was in a place that was like almost triple the rent. Mm -hmm. And so as of May 1st, I literally just moved in there. And so I financially was in a place where I could go and maintain my my life through the work I was able to do remotely, which again, very privileged. And I get that. And I'm so grateful for it. So that is what I did. I worked remotely and sat in my car in the summer sun in New York and did therapy sessions while I was in between visitations at the nursing home. What I'm curious about is what was your mindset like to do that? So, hey, you're in this very heavy situation and you have to change your focus onto doing sessions and serving other people. What sort of thought process did you go through or what did you do to get yourself so you could do those sessions in a parking lot? I don't think most people would be able to do that. Well, thanks for that. Um, I, you know, and I teach my clients about this all the time. Like when you're in the midst of like horrible stress things you probably can't fathom. Like, I mean, I'm watching my mother as she's dying, but she could die tomorrow or she could die six weeks from now. You know, I mean, it just, it was so overwhelming that I teach people all the time. Like, number one, you have to take care of yourself. But very importantly, part of taking care of yourself is knowing when to pull yourself out of your own stress. And, you know, doing my sessions gave me a sense of stability in the chaos that was going on around me. I mean, in every day as a therapist, we have horrible things. I've talked before how my first day as a therapist ever in a room alone with clients was on 9-11, mm. uh, the, the 9-11. And I learned very fast that like chaos can be going on in your world and you have to focus in on the client. So I learned that very early on. I teach people, take a break from your own, from your own sadness, your own drama, your own chaos, and pull yourself out to focus on other people. And quite frankly, being a therapist was a great way for me to do that at this point. So my clients didn't know, and they, they knew something was going on. And probably out of my 20 clients at the time that were in rotation, probably five of them who had been longer term clients might have known why I was there. Um, nobody knew real big details, but they might have known my mother was sick or something like that. And I was able to pull myself out of that. I'd leave the nursing home, do some breathing on the way to the car, set myself up in a comfortable, remote, shaded place of the parking lot and do my sessions. And it would give me a couple of hours of a sense of normalcy for myself because everything that I was doing was different. I hadn't lived in New York for 19 years and I was you know, staying on my brother's pull-out couch and stuff like that. So it was an adjustment and 
being able to find some sense of stability was really cathartic for me. Uh, I'm going to swing back a little bit more to the family. I understand your family grew during this process. There's a healing process that took place, even despite the fact that your mom was passing away. Can you talk to me a little bit about that part? Right. So when I say there was like chaos going on, it wasn't just that we're watching my mother die and we're waiting because I should also say that we knew, I mean, she was dying and that when she was diagnosed, she opted out of treatment. Her cancer was so progressed that she said she wasn't going to take any treatment to prolong it to live, you know, six to nine months. So they gave her up to two months to live. So that's why I was so sure that when I came home, she would be dead because she wasn't going to live. And knowing that, that we were going there to watch her pass away and be there and witness that and be there with her. There was also this other part of our family that was, as you said, very healing. So about 20 years ago, my mother had told us that she had uh, given up a baby for adoption in the in the mid 60s. And that would put my brother uh, five years older than me. She my mother was um, dating and you know, got pregnant with someone who was not a boyfriend to her or anything. And unfortunately for the times and the world that my mother lived in, my grandmother said that white girls don't have black babies and certainly not out of wedlock. And so she pretty much forced my mother to give the baby up for adoption. So I knew for 20 years or so that my brother existed. Didn't know how we were going to reach him. I figured one of these days we would reconnect through the DNA tests that they have now, which is what happened. So as of December or January of 2018, I found out through one of my cousins that my brother did exist through the DNA search. So I gave my mother the kit and it happened to be around Christmas time. So I say I gave her the kit for Christmas and told her to go reconnect with her son. And, and she did. And so we all kind of had a meeting virtual or in person with my brother. His name is Quincy, who happened to live a couple of hours away in New Jersey. And since then, everybody stayed in contact. But then my mother got sick in the beginning of May and Quincy came out on the train probably twice a week for the whole time she was in the hospital in the nursing home. And so it gave all of us time to get to know each other. And so for as much as we're losing our mother, we're gaining our brother and it was healing for everybody. Yeah, that that's what I was kind of a touch on. Like, what was it like when Quincy was in the room with your mom after all these years? I mean, did you see her physiology change? Did you see her tone of voice change? What was it like? Because she's had this in the back of her head for years. Yeah. So when my mom told me, and it must be over 20 years ago now, 20-something years ago, about Quincy existing, um, I didn't know about attachment theory and attachment injuries and things like that. But anybody that knows my story knows that I had a very conflictual relationship with my mother and you know, she was even abusive when I was growing up. And I just used to think, gosh, why can't she feel for us? You know, she wasn't very emotive. And in reuniting with Quincy, it healed something. This was not, 
you know, giving up a, a baby for adoption is tough when you've made that decision. But when you've been essentially forced to make that decision, it's traumatizing and a level different than making that decision and coming to the terms with it and accepting it on your own because my mother truly never accepted it and never wanted it and longed for the day that she would reunite with him. So when that happened, yes, we saw a difference. All of a sudden, this woman who had been cold, essentially, or scared to express herself, that's how I would say mm-hmm. she was. Instead of cold, it was scared to express herself. She would now hold hands, tell us she loved us. And yes, it was only you know through this end of her life, um, but it seemed to appear coinciding with the reuniting with Quincy. It was if, Interesting. yeah, like all of a sudden this injury that she had was healed and she could now embrace her own emotions. And it was really beautiful. It was healing. And I've said before about my father's passing is that I had an opportunity to, and he said everything he ever needed to say to me, I believe right before he died, I believe my mother and I talked through whatever we needed to. And, and I'm, I'm comfortable with where our relationship was. And I was for years anyway, but like on the end of the emotional stuff, I'm, I'm really happy that we got those moments together. Absolutely. One of the other things I wanted to talk about, too, is I know you took a trip back to California in a car as opposed to a plane. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. So so my sister, who I mentioned, uh, Suzanne, Susie, you know, lived with my mother her whole life. And we knew that when my mother passed, Susie was not going to be able to live on her own. And so she would come to live with me. You know, I thought that initially she would just fly back with me with a suitcase full of clothes. But then, of course, you know, you're there. And for as much as her life was simple and relatively small, she had lots of possessions that, like, meant something to her. And for any of us, leaving without those little mementos and stuff and just starting over somewhere, that's not a natural process. And to put her through the trauma of losing our mother, leaving her home, like she never got to go back and live in her home again, all of that was really overwhelming uh, to think about. It was heartbreaking. And you know, and then kind of like looking at what the situation was, I was driving around in my mother's 2003 Honda CRV. And for as much as it needed some fixing up to get it ready to go across the country, I thought about why not see if I can pack it up and take it with me and pack Susie's belongings up. Because as Susie was rehabbing from her surgery from the broken ankle in the nursing home, she would say things like, you know, oh, can you bring my TV? She'd gotten a new TV for Christmas. And of course I could get her a new TV, but there were other things like she liked NASCAR. So she had a whole bunch of NASCAR souvenirs. She had a collection of, you know, a hundred porcelain dolls at one point. We didn't bring a hundred porcelain dolls across the country, but I did manage to bring a couple of crates of them. And It just was heartbreaking to think about having her start her life over with nothing. So I went to my mother and uh, said, this is what I'd like to do for Susie. And of course, she was very happy and grateful to know that Susie was going to start her life over, at least with some of those things that meant something for her. Uh, So it was really um, something for as much as, you know, people will hear my reflections on that trip in this next part of the episode. Looking forward to hearing more about that. Right, that's the fun part of the trip. Um, You know, for as much as, you know, that's going to go on, I wouldn't change a thing about what I did. I know what I did was the right thing. 
another uh, thing I want to touch on too is the dynamic between your mother and yourself. You've been very open and transparent that the relationship with your mom was not ideal. I've seen posts that you did when Mother's Day was approaching where you're very honest about it. So folks that do have challenges with their mothers, myself would be one included, that they had something to identify with and realized that they weren't the only one. Can you talk to me about what it was like to be with your mom during those last moments? Yeah, and the last moments, I guess, like the last few weeks or so. Exactly. Yeah, so I definitely came to terms with my relationship with my mother a long time ago. And it's no secret because it's out there. It's in the book that I wrote. It's in other videos and other blog posts about the challenges that, you know, she was quite physically abusive when I was growing up. And I left home at an early age and was on my own and had a lot of resentment for a lot of years. But I grew into an acceptance. And and you can't grow into an acceptance until you really kind of get your head around understanding who that person is. So somehow I was able to tap into some empathy for her, which again is one of those things that now, like I take pride on being able to help my clients learn that kind of skill. But I, so I'd come to terms a long time ago with, um, accepting my mom for who she is and resolving the resentments that I had for her. So for years I'd gone and visited her and everything else. And, you know, for as much as when I was younger, I might have wished horrible things on her. I, that that part of me has long since been healed and mended over. So when I went to New York for the sole purpose of sitting with her day in and day out as she was uh, dying, you know, I didn't have those old feelings. I really just, I had, oh my gosh, it was... It was horrible. And you know, because you've watched your mother die of cancer uh, many years ago. It was, it was rough. And I certainly wished that she didn't have her body fall apart the way that she did like that. um, Because it was like her body did her in. The sad part is that her mind was fine. She was a woman who even went through a couple of strokes a couple of years ago and her mind was fine. So she was really resilient in that way. So she was really resilient in her cognitive abilities, you know, that she could go through these strokes a couple of years ago and she was fine in the mind. Um, so that was the sad and tragic part is that she could see everything happening to her body and see that her body was just not even mobile at this point. She couldn't stand on her own. She couldn't stand at all, really, for the last few weeks. And I had to do things like, you know, wipe the thrush out of her mouth. It's pretty disgusting. And you're wiping stuff out of her mouth and like it's you're holding hands and talking about the future without her. And I just really had a lot of empathy for her. The grateful part that I have is that she wasn't in pain at all for as much as her body was all distended and distorted from the cancer uh, and the liquid filled in her body, she uh, wasn't in any pain. So when the time came that she finally went on morphine at the end, uh, it took about three or four days uh, before she passed. But, you know, that was the only time then that we kind of like lost her in in her cognitive abilities was when the, the medicine took over. But she didn't have any pain and and passed without pain. So for that, I'm very grateful. And, you know, for those struggling with these relationships with your 
family members as they get sick. It doesn't heal everything. Like I said, I also had this other cathartic experience that went on with her reuniting with her long lost, you know, given up son. And so that healed part of her, which helped her be more connected to us in the end. Um, but if, if you can find empathy for who they are in that moment, you will feel better um, about how you are with them as they leave the world. So now you're back in New York. You're you're with your mom. You you have you know reunited with Quincy. You're with the family. Can you talk to me about what life was like in New York during this time? Yeah, it was very different than what I'm used to. So, you know, besides when I was married, I'm a person who's lived alone for many years. Um, I like my little beach life and uh, my own personal space, got my business, I'm kind of like a go, go, go kind of person. And all of a sudden, I'm sleeping in my brother and his fiance's, um, uh, you know, guest bedroom, which is, doubles as her office. So I'm in a pull-out couch uh, bed. That's quite a different uh, right. <laughs> environment than what you're right. used to. Right, for as much as I love, it's Frank and Natalie, and we're actually all going to their wedding coming up in New York. For as much as I love them, they're not used to me being in their space and I'm not used to them being around. And so um, there was that adjustment of feeling like I'm intruding on somebody, which I am. But I'm very grateful that he was there for me. And I know that he was grateful that I was able to come out and be there with with them and, and our the rest of our family as we know it. And thank goodness I still have really close friends and either even, you know, I'll say another like emotional mother figure who's out in New York. And I was able to spend lots of time with them. Like in the evenings, I would go and switch things up and give, give Frank and Natalie a break for me and go spend a night or two at another friend's house, which would give me a change of environment and, um, give them a break. So, so that was nice. Um, I definitely took care of myself there. I went out and exercised most mornings. I would take myself to places that I remembered. Like I took one day to go to Southampton, which that sounds nice. It, it is. I mean, it, it was bittersweet in that it was a place that I had some peaceful memories of in the past. And, um, but I was taking it that day out in Southampton to kind of reflect on like all the changes that were going on, but it was a place where I got some peace. So I had a peaceful day out in Southampton at the beach and also had to work through the guilt of like, I'm here to do this. So why would I take a day to go out to Southampton, which is our, you know, couple of hours in and out of driving. And it was remembering that like I do need to take care of myself if I don't I was really going to fall apart and might not be able to manage my business might not be able to manage things as they were so I had to kind of keep finding places of stability things that brought me some peace and joy and then remembering why I was there as I took care of myself Interesting. And it sounds like you have a support system out there as well. So when you showed up, you did have other people with you as opposed to being isolated. Oh, yeah. And thank goodness, you know, I got to say, you know, thank goodness for fa things like Facebook, because I mean, we even had to rehome my sister's dog. Um, unfortunately, she couldn't bring the dog with her cross country. The dog was getting old and it just wasn't going to be able to be good fit for the new life. So we were able to get one of my oldest friends from high school and his family took the dog and I'm forever grateful to them. And then of course I have lots of friends from growing up in New York. My brother is still connected to a lot of people that we knew growing up. So it, I always feel 
supported and loved when I go to New York. I'm just not used to... That's important. Yeah, I'm just not used to being there for more than like three nights at a time (laughs) for the last 20 years. (laughs) That's funny. And then um, one of the things I'm going to move over to is if we could just talk about the day that your mom actually passed away and we have everyone there speaking of a support network and that event and how it transpired. What was that like? Yeah. So that's interesting. Like, and I, I ran into the same dilemma that I hear so many other people talk about who have been around loved ones who passed when you'd make every effort to be there with them for a lot of their hours while they're there with you, but then you miss the moment that they actually pass. And, um, so I actually had that experience. I had spent the night at another friend's house and, um, was coming home and it was Monday morning. My mother went on morphine on Friday Mm. on Monday morning. I was driving home and I remember being at a stoplight and I remember thinking, well, if I go, if I make a left-hand turn right here and go 15 minutes, I can go visit mom and Susie now, or I can keep driving another like 20 minutes and go to Frank's house, take my shower, get myself ready for the day and then head back out to the nursing home. And I decided to go to Frank's to get ready. And it was pretty much, I don't know, soon after I got to Frank's house um, and Frank and Natalie were home just June 25th. Maybe it was the holiday weekend. I don't remember why they were both home, but, or maybe they were just off of work that day, but we were all at the house and we, and I got the call that uh, my mother had passed and she passed probably within a few minutes of when I would have gotten there is my understanding had I gone. And so I lived with like, Oh my gosh, like, was I selfish? Was I not thinking what went on? And, and I can't live in that space because it wouldn't have changed anything. No, No. at the very, at the very most, I would have been sitting there holding her hand as she went, which would have been lovely, but it wouldn't have changed anything. So I can't live with the guilt of, gosh, I should have done this or should have done that. That never works out for anybody. So, yeah, so that day happened, and we we told the social workers or we told the medical staff, whatever you do, please don't tell Susie. Let us get there. It'll take us about 30 minutes to get there. Please let us get there. Don't tell Susie because we want to be there with her because we were concerned about her. And we get there, and they said yes. And then through, like, some miscommunication, one of the nurses called the social worker because they were afraid that Susie was going to ask about my mom. So they took her outside and told her. And so we show up to the nursing home and Susie's out front on the patio in her wheelchair with the social worker and crying. And we're like, oh, gosh, she knows. So we we get to her as fast as we can. And um, and from there, like that was the moment that my life changed because my sister's mother was gone is how I looked at it. And did you feel the weight of that? Yeah, I knew right in that moment. It's, it's, I mean, yes, I have brothers, but it's me and her. And, um, and I knew. She, and was it a, not to talk over you, was it like a visceral feeling? Like, oh, this is for real mm-hmm. now. You walk, you walk up there, the social worker's talking to Susie. She's in a wheelchair crying. You know, hey, my life's just changed dramatically. Yes. Yes. Wow. I thought no matter what happens, like, I have to make sure that, like, 
that I helped Susie, number one, get through this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then, like, we're just off and running. Like, our new life is going to start. Like, there isn't going to be a miracle cure. There isn't going to be some, like, regression of the disease. Like, it happened. She's gone. My sister... Now, and I say my sister has no parents because... You know, I, I've lived, it's different when you depend on your parents for your safety and security in your life, you know? And so all of a sudden she didn't have that, you know, and Susie and I, when we knew the plan a long time ago was always that someday my mother would pass away and Susie would come live in California with me. But, you know, my mother was 73, I think. Like, she wasn't supposed to pass away at 73. We thought we were going to have at least another <laughs> at least another 10 years by her family standards, another, you know, 15 maybe. You know, we just weren't preparing for that to happen now. And right. so, and it's one of those things in life, you just, you, you, you don't get to make second guesses about things. You just go with, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing and what I've, I've said I was going to do. So, you know, then it was like, oh, I better get my ass in gear and do what I said I was going to do. And you do. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so that day even was just, you know, so then it was consoling Susie and all of us kind of going, okay, this really happened. So the next step is getting the funeral arranged. And if, your parent hasn't planned for it or made arrangements or wrote it down. Like, you know, we were left and we Googled it. And, you know, <laughs> my brother and I had little disagreements about how much we thought funerals should cost. And I thought they were costing too much. So I went on Google, found a good ad, called them up. It turned out to be a very reputable, very nice place. I knew my mother just wanted to be cremated and, and have a little service and so their price was right on the money it was perfect and and reasonable i mean it was still a few thousand dollars but but you know like i mean think it's funny that like you can find you know good funeral through google adwords so right on on that but um you know so then that happened so i was planning the funeral while i'm in susie's susie's um nursing home room you know and then i had to go later that day i just decided like on the way home because I think the services happened within like two days. I needed to get my mother a dress. Yeah, and I, w- I want to hear about the, the story about the process of getting that dress and the exchange between you and the, the retail clerk. I think that's really yeah, entertaining. So, well, it just kind of shows just like how we just sometimes don't know when our our triggers are going to show up. So, mm-hmm. of course, my mother mm-hmm. died that morning, so 10 o'clock in that morning. And I didn't cry. I hadn't cried, really. I don't think I did. I might have shed a little bit of tears with Susie when that was going on because she always kind of brings that out when she's upset. I, I cry along with her, but I didn't feel like I'd cried a lot for my mom's death that day. It just, it was too much to think about. Like I actually took Susie to the hospital cafe to get lunch. We, you know, did the funeral arrangements. We just kind of tried to sit and in, in with our thoughts. So it wasn't a lot of outward emotions on my part or breaking down. And so I thought, okay, well, it's like five o'clock. I'm going to head to the mall and go to the store that I know my mom would have wanted her dress from. And so I went to the store and I find this dress works out perfectly 
pretty blue color that would look really nice on her, on her, you know, coloring and, um, all the things that the funeral home said they wanted for whatever reason, they wanted a high neckline and long sleeves and a, and a scarf around the neck. So I found that and it worked out very nice. And I was almost through the store and, and I go to get rung up and the woman asked me about a phone number, you know, as they do and say, you have a phone number for this store. And I didn't. And she goes, Oh, but you're going to start getting discounts and you'll get this and that. I'm like, look lady, like I'm not interested. I don't care. She's like, okay. And she started talking a little bit more and said, Oh, that's a pretty dress and kind of said, you know, something about it. And I just like flatly was like, well, it's for my mother's funeral, like not for me to wear, for her to wear. And I just started crying and uh, tearing up at the countertop at the Avenue store. And, um, And the woman then, though, gets quiet, and she then shares this story of her own husband, uh, who apparently had been much younger than her and was fighting off some kind of cold or something, didn't know what it was. And when he finally was diagnosed, he died three three weeks later of some other uh, cancer as well that was undiagnosed. And so we also had this similar story in there. And so I'm there tearing up. She's tearing up. The other people at the store are like looking like what the hell's <laughs> happening over there. So to the woman at the Avenue store in Lake Grove, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to put all my grief onto you that day, but it was actually, it was a very beautiful moment. And it just kind of shows that no matter how much you think you got things pulled together, like you might be standing at the checkout line, buying a piece of clothing and start crying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) With some of the similar experience. Okay. So now uh, you've got the funeral taken care of. Now what? It was then wrapping things up, making sure Susie had a plan for discharge. And because we knew at this point I was going to drive her stuff across the country and she was going to fly and stay at my brother's house. I have a brother who was living in San Diego um, with his wife and family, but he's in the military. And as thing happened, he was given new orders and leaving August 1st. So this was now June 25th. Susie was getting out of the uh, hospital around or the nursing home around July 6th, I think, and then flew across. So I left on July 4th and I stuck around to take care of like the services and wrapping up some stuff with their house and packing up the car, getting the car fixed up and then started my journey. So the next episode that we're going to go into is going to be about my cross country journey. And so, yes, you might hear some reflections about the grief and the loss and the the apprehension I had about starting my new life with my sister. But you're also going to get story of like what it was like to travel for three and a half weeks across the country, going to cities I'd always wanted to go to, eating at restaurants I always wanted to eat at, connecting with cousins that I wasn't really connected with, but now feel very close to, meeting up with other podcasters and other people that I've known through the internet for years. So it's this really cool story of this journey. So that's the next episode. And then the one after that will start August 1st and my life with my sister. And there's a lot of things that people who are living with someone in their family who has some kind of 
whether it's intellectual disability, developmental disability, or mental health disability, you will relate to the struggle that we have gone through. But um, where, like when I say I had to become my sister's advocate, I definitely have had to fight for her to get services. And there are stories that people who maybe don't know as much about the system as someone who, like myself, has worked in it for 18 years, I was still seeing her starting to get uh, like pushed between the cracks that she would just go away. And like, I knew enough to know we need to fight for this, but there's stories of like great growth and happiness and adjusting and all that stuff coming up in the third part. So join me next time for the story of the cross country journey. And then we've got the one after of like what our life now in California looks like. If you like what we're doing, uh, certainly subscribe to this, certainly subscribe so that you can hear the next couple of episodes. And then we're actually relaunching. So watch for other upcoming motivational, inspirational stories of people who are not only experts in their fields, but also experts at overcoming tragedy. I'm going to bring them to you uh, with more episodes coming up. So be sure to join us in the future for that. Thanks so much. Bye now.